uh, today. We are in a series that we've titled uh, Hope in the Midst of Chaos. Uh, I, I was able to kick off week one. Alex did an incredible job with week two last week, and so uh, make sure you go back and, and catch that if you missed it. And Heather did worship, uh, and so a huge thank you to her. Uh, did a great, great job leading us in worship. So we're in this series, Hope in the Midst of Chaos, and uh, it seems fitting for us today. Uh, in, in some ways, it's lightening up, and in other ways, it's becoming more chaotic. Uh, but we're taking a look at the book of First Peter. So if you have your Bibles or they're somewhere throughout your house, go ahead and run and grab those. We'll be in First Peter chapter 1. It's really towards the end of your Bible. Week one, we kicked off looking at our identity as foreigners or uh, Christ followers living in exile. And then last week, uh, Alex led us, as I mentioned, on where our hope is found in, in living as exiles. And then today, we're focusing on this calling, this uh, crazy high bar to live a life of holiness. And what exactly does that mean? A lot of us read the passage or other passages and go, well, that's an unobtainable bar that, that God has set for us. But we're going to unpack that a little bit this morning. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 25. And as we hit each section of this passage. We're going to cover three directives that Peter gives us uh, as how to live as holy people. Kind of a follow-up from the past two weeks before we jump into chapter two. And I want to give those to you now. Number one is we're to gird up with hope. We're going to unpack what that means. Number two, get some holy reverence in your life. And number three, we are called in order to live as holy people to love deeply or to deeply love others. And so we're going to jump straight into it this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll start in verse 13. And so here is what it says. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Just a, a quick sentence, a quick opening verse for us to dive into this morning, and it brings us to our very first point, and that is Peter says, in order to live as holy people, we are to gird up our minds. And if you're like my daughter, Naomi, who said, why did you use the word gird this morning? That's not a very frequently used word. You're right. Uh, and so if you look at the King James Version or the New King James Version and go all the way back to the original language, the idea is to gird up your mind. We say prepare our minds for action and exercise self-control. Self but the idea is truly to gird up your minds. Well, what does that mean? Great question, Naomi, and for all the rest of you. Uh, back in the first century, people would often wear, as you see in movies or uh, television shows uh, depicting biblical times, they would wear long flowing robes. Everyone did. It, it wasn't just women. Men did as well. And then they would often have a belt that would go across uh, their waistline and they would carry a sword or a dagger or some food or some grain in that belt. And that was very frequent for everybody within the first century, these long flowing 
robes. And what would happen is uh, soldiers also wore these robes. And if you can picture being a soldier running around the battlefield in a robe, it could be a little bit cumbersome. And so what they would do is they would stand up, they would kind of hike up or gird, they would hike up and gird their robes and tuck them into their belts so that they could move around the battlefield uh, easily and without delay and quickly. And Peter uses this really as a metaphor for you and I, something that the original people in, in uh, northern uh, Asia of, of the recipients of these churches would use this as a metaphor to challenge the readers for deep thinking, to, to process something deep within their minds that's going to be talked about. In other words, girding up of the robe was allow, allowed the body to move quickly and more efficiently. And what Peter is saying is gird up your minds so that your minds can move efficiently and quickly of the things of God. Thinking is done with the mind. We know that. And as Christians, we're called not to check our brains at the door. Not to leave them in the parking lot as we come into the church or come into an online service, but to actually deep think, to critically think about the things of God as we come into his presence. To have our hearts and our minds awakened so that we can understand, in, at least in part, the things of God. It's actually brilliant the way that Peter writes this in Guidance by the Holy Spirit. Because it's not the preparation of the body, it's gird up your mind. Prepare your mind to be alert. And whenever we study the scriptures, whenever we study God, it's mental work, it's mental battle. Even in your own life, you're teaching online school, you're figuring out how to do work from home, you're, you're trying, if you're Alex, trying to grow grass in your backyard for Amanda so that she can step on it. Uh, it's preparation of the mind to think about such things. And the hope that is found when we do that is we discover something that will never fade away, and that's Jesus Christ. That's why we gird up our minds. That's why we hike up our robe so that we can focus on such things. It's, it's really when everything is going to be made right. And we know this. Uh, some people might say, well, this is a little bit heresy because uh, the, it, it infers that our salvation is not fully known. And I would say a hearty amen, just as Alex referred last week, that our salvation is not fully known. There's an aspect of it that we haven't experienced, and that's the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is still an enormous part of our salvation that we put our hope into and wait for it. And we know that it's not fully complete because we look at the world around us. There are viruses, there are cancers, there are tumors, there are blood diseases, there are car accidents, there are abuses, there are injustices. We destroy our planet. All of these fall underneath the umbrella of things aren't quite right. But we gird up our minds to think about such things that are to come. And whether you die of uh, a, a catastrophe 
or whether you live a long, full life, eventually your body is going to fail you. Your body is going to wrong you and you will pass away or Jesus will come again. And the Bible says that in those days, you will receive a new body and a new mind and you will be able to withstand God's presence. Think about that. The Bible makes it clear you can't stand before God because he's too much for you. But when he comes again, when the king comes again, you will be able to experience and absorb everything that God is and everything that he has for you. And you won't be obliterated, (laughs) uh, which is probably something that we want to avoid. And Peter says, hold on to that, that coming truth, that coming victory that will withstand everything. The minor things that happen throughout our day, the discomforts, the failures, the disappointments, those things are all going to pass away for something greater. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we will have spring again. Just beautiful poetic imagery of when the king comes again. And Peter says, the way you make it an exile, the way that you make it living in a land, earth, that is not your eternal home, that you're a foreigner, that you are an exile as a follower of Jesus, is that you are able to, as life throw things at you, you are able to focus on that. You gird up and you think about such things and you build your hope on the fact that the king is coming again. Amen? Okay, so that's the first thing we do as Christ followers living in exile is we gird up our minds. The second thing is found in verses 14 through 17. So go ahead and turn with me there. And I'm going to give you a lot of things throughout this message if you're into it. I really enjoy writing in my Bible, highlighting, underlining, circling, drawing arrows. This is a really good opportunity to do it. And so uh, in verse 13, uh, there's a couple of key words there that you can uh, highlight and underline and or circle. Our second point brings us to verse 14, and here's what it says through verse 17. So you must live as God's obedient children. The word so is there. Why is the word so? The so is there because you're to gird up your minds to focus on the things of the coming Lord Jesus. And as you do that, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your desires. If you didn't know any better then, you didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy, there's a high bar, and everything that you do just as God chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. And remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here 
as residents, temporary residents. Now, if you're like me, you might hear that and go, wait a second, I was always taught it's not by our works, it's by our faith. But it's, it's, it's on our faith, it's not by our works, but it is about our works, it's not by our faith. And I would say your confusion is valid. The struggle is real, it's both. It's faith and it's works. But right here, what Peter wants to focus on is our work, is the difference between pre-Christ and present with Christ. That transformation of the heart, that transformation of the mind. In other words, our lifestyle needs to continue to change. And the reality is, and here's our point, is we've got to get some holy reverence into our lives. We need to get some holy reverence in our day-to-day because what we often do is we rely on grace. And it's a great thing to rely on. But there also must be, for the follower of Jesus living in exile, there must be some element of reverent fear. It's that balance between faith and works. In other words, the Bible says, you didn't know any better before Christ. You didn't know the rules. You didn't know the guidelines. You didn't know the hopes and dreams and ambitions that God has for you. But now you know. As Christ, who is alive in you, is telling you there is a new way to live. There is a new power to be tapped into to live each and every day. A new hope that is to be discovered. And this is how you ought to live. And so Peter says, don't conform. Don't drop your guard. We talked about this in the very first week, is that living in exile, we don't conform to the world around us. We don't drop our standards. Those living in exile, those who are foreigners living in a land that is not their home, we don't compromise and we don't conform to the world around us. In other words, when you're called back to that old life, to those old coping mechanisms, to those old pleasures, to those old ways to relieve stress, to those old behaviors of treating your your wife or your husband or your kids or your friends a certain way. Don't fall back into those old ways of living. And, And what that tells us is that's a very real thing. If Peter's gonna go as far as to say to to caution us with it, then obviously it's a very real temptation to fall back, to slip back in to old ways of living and thinking and acting. And every single one of us has done that. At some time or another, we've all done that. And Peter cautions us with not going back to unhealthy things. We don't go back to those behaviors. Peter's actually consistent with Paul. If you turn with me to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we'll see this very similar to the letter written to Rome. Here's what he says in verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. In other words, he's earned it. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. 
then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I mean, we could do an entire sermon just on that. But all that's doing is, is reinforcing the, the heartbeat behind the Scriptures, the heartbeat behind the, the letters written to the churches and to the epistles and even the Gospels, the teachings of Jesus. Now, a couple of uh, thoughts on the word holy. Holy, for the most part, is looked at as kind of set apart. It's the norm, but it's not normal. It's, it's set apart for a mission, and we talked again about this in week one, that every one of you who claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you are on a mission. And it's a mission, follow me on this, it's a mission that can't be accomplished by anybody but you. Why is that? It's that way because the mission of God is a God mission. And you and I, as followers of Jesus, we are the hands and feet of Jesus, which means the world who doesn't have Jesus can't accomplish the mission. It has to be between you and I and the rest that follow Jesus Christ. It's an unbelievable thing. That's why we're called to be holy, so that we can be those hands and feet, so that we can be that voice of hope and encouragement to one another. The world can't do that. The world can be nice. The world can be kind. The world can be compassionate. But without Jesus, the Bible says it's empty action. It's empty behavior. But supported by the foundation of Jesus Christ, it's life-changing. In part, holy refers to God's transcendent being, his transcendent majesty, his otherness. His one of us, but not completely us. He's beyond us. The sense that God is different than anything in the created order. There's nothing ever or will be like him. And the term holy in the Old Testament was used when God consecrated a people or a time or a location to be set apart because it was different. It was something special, something miraculous happened, and so it was consecrated. And the idea here is that Peter is calling for nonconformity and that you and I are to be imitators, ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And the people of Peter's day would have received this epistle. They would have gathered around for someone to read it aloud and the words that would have been received would have been a call to decide they're not going to behave like the rest of the world. But as children, as heirs of the living God, and joint heirs with Christ. Man, this is meaty, powerful, life-changing truth. And thankfully, according to the Scriptures... It says that God doesn't play favorites. Have you thought that before? I have. I've looked at people in the church. I've looked at superstars in the faith, evangelists, and gone, man, they're like, they are right next to God at the table. And me, I'm at the kids' table. Uh, there's food being thrown around, and, and we have plasticware. We don't have any china. We don't have any silver. We're, we're just at the kids' table. And that is not true. God doesn't play favorites. That we're all in this together. 
you and I and everyone else watching. And we ought to live a life that's in reverent fear because of the new bar for the life of following God is to be holy. Turn with me to Psalm 103. Uh, It's going to be about halfway through your Bible. Uh, I'm going to read the first five verses of Psalm 103 to continue to, to build the foundation for this. It says this out of the New Living Translation, Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart I will praise His holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things He does for me. He forgives all my sins and He heals all of my diseases. He redeems me from death and He crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. And He goes on and on and on through the Psalms. But you know what's interesting about this? God knows Him. God knows His heart. God knows His mind. God knows his sin. And our God, our King, he is holy, even though he remembers that you and I are created out of the dust of the earth. You are called to live a life of holiness and to follow Christ. And that causes to us to approach God in reverent fear. Because there isn't a single sin that the king doesn't know about you. Think about that. There's not one sin that God doesn't know about. But it gets better than that because there isn't a single sinner on this planet that God doesn't love, that he wouldn't give his son for, that he wouldn't give everything that is near and dear to him for. And I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what struggles you have. I don't know if it's COVID-related or relationally-related or financially-related or employment-related. But you need to know, in spite of all that you've done, in spite of all that you are, God knows, and He's crazy about you. He loves you, and He cares about what you're going through right now. You are not alone. You see, Christ changes us by the power of His Spirit from the inside out. He changes us. And you may not know this, but we can't be imitators of God. Why? Well, because God's holy. And newsflash, you're not. (laughs) You're not holy. You're not perfect. You are not otherness. You are not set apart. You are not something that's out of this world but still in it. You are not supreme ruler and governor and father of all. God is. You and I are none of those things. But through His Spirit, we can inherit holiness as sons and daughters of God, as family members of the royal priesthood. That's available to you and I. And being around our great Father, we can inherit holiness. We can take on his characteristics. We can take on his holiness 
from the work inside out, we begin to look and act and talk and hope like Him. I'll give you an example. This works in good ways and in bad ways. How many of you have seen in your kids something you don't really like about yourself and then you see it in them? Raise your hand. Go ahead and point to the person in your living room or your kitchen or your family room that acts like you and you don't like how they act. Go ahead and do that now. Okay. Um, it happens. I see it in my kids. I see it in their attitudes or their words or their behaviors. And I go, my gosh, stop looking at me. Don't look at those things that aren't good in me. Sorry, my microphone just dropped. But it also works the other way. There are times, jeez, Louise, sorry about this. I'm being attacked by wires. There are times when one of my kids will act a certain way and I go, wow, that's just like me. And I'm actually proud of it. All right. Everyone just stand by for a second. I got to reclip this and find out what in the world's going on. Otherwise, we can't continue. Talk amongst yourselves. Okay. Got that clipped. Got a little too excited. I think I pulled it out. We're back. There are times when one of my kids will do something very special, and I go, wow, that's just like me and Sandy. But it's not like us. It's like the Spirit of God that's lived out in us, and then they're modeling it. It's the same thing that we do things. We are imitators. We are guided by our God and we inherit some special things about him. Now, Peter adds more to this point. Look at verses uh, 18 through 21. Here's what it says. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you. From the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him. Uh, one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. God chose him, Jesus, as your ransom long before the world even began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God, and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. This is absolutely amazing. The Bible says we had empty lives before God. Before God chose to pay a ransom, we had a completely empty life. And the Bible says, contrary to what some skeptics would say, and here's their argument. Well, God made Adam and Eve, and then, oops, sin happened, didn't plan for that. So now God runs into Jesus' bedroom, wakes him up, and says, you got to get down to earth and save them because there's this thing called sin, and I didn't plan for this, so go save things. Wrong. The Bible says that God chose Jesus as your ransom, as my ransom, long before the world even began. It was always part of the story. It was always part of the plan. It was always part of the mission to save you and I through Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that when we put our faith and trust in him, that you and I are a part of that new priesthood, that we're part of that new family. And so therefore, we approach God with holy reverence. 
and we gird up our minds. Finally, look with me at verses 23 through 25, and we'll get ready to close. Verse 22, you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all of your heart. For you have been born again, but not of a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever. Amen? And it will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. And as the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is good news that was preached to you. The Bible says that we had empty lives. Now, here's one thing I really hope for. I hope you've experienced loving someone deeply, and I hope you've experienced being loved deeply because it's the greatest thing on this planet. It's the model of God, not necessarily romantically, but relationally. And the reason these experiences are so incredible is because that's what we were made to do. And Jesus says, if you have a hard time with this religion thing, if you have a hard time with this church thing, if you have a hard time with the Bible, I'll narrow it down for you. Love God and love your neighbor. And that'll help you. There, there's a term that was used in the 16th century called quorum deu. It was one of the rally cries of the 16th century. And this two-word phrase means before the face of God. And the idea was that even though we can't see the face of God, that every second of our lives is played out, is lived out before the face of God. He sees everything. He knows everything. We can't see him, but he sees us. And we are called to cultivate that kind of an awareness in our actions, in our life, in our love for others each and every day, every moment of every day. Why? Because we are standing before the face of God. And as Christ's followers, we are called to love sincerely and to love our God and, and, and to love our neighbor. Why? Because the Bible says that we are cleansed from our sin when we obeyed the truth. And so now we must show sincere love to our brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all of our heart. That's what the Bible says. And this life of being called to is not going away anytime soon. Verse 23 says, your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. Verse 24 says, people are like grass. Their, their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass wither and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. I love football. How's that for a transition? I love all things football. I like to play football. I like to watch football. I like to read about and listen to commentators talk about football. I like to debate football. I just love football. Now, now listen, I know a lot of you don't, so just bear with me on this. Over the COVID uh, series, I've watched quite a few uh, documentaries and, and old football games. 
And undoubtedly, almost all of them get to the point where they'll interview some of the old players that are now old. And almost across the board, one thing is true. Almost every single time, the players will say how quick the celebration and the victory faded. It was incredible in the moment. The parade, the confetti, the champagne, uh, the celebrations was so incredible. Being uh, interviewed on ESPN and late night television, uh, incredible. And how quickly it all faded. And how most of the players on those teams, no one even knows their name. We remember the superstars. But most of those players have just faded off into the background and living a normal life. And you can almost feel the letdown in their voices. Almost as if to say, is that all there was? It's over. It's gone. Was that all, all the work I put in, all, all the sweat and tears and sacrifice, was that it? And isn't that true of our achievements of the flesh? our achievements of this world, our building up of our uh, personal fortitude, of our wealth, of our accomplishments. Isn't it true that eventually uh, the grass and the flowers eventually are going to wither and fade away? Isn't it true that every funeral you've ever attended, no one has brought any of that with them? And this stands in great contrast. And this is why Peter puts it in here. This stands in great contrast to the word of the Lord, the living Christ, which endures forever. I want to show you something here. This is, uh, this is an anvil. This is a very, very heavy anvil that Alex, thankfully, helped me bring in this morning. Uh, this anvil was on my great-grandfather's farm in southern Illinois. It now sits out in our planter. And this thing is heavy. It's liquid steel. The oldest anvil is actually known from about 200 A.D. They withstand the test of time. And there's a reason why uh, workers will hammer on this and hammer on this over and over and over. Why? Because this isn't going anywhere. This isn't going to break. This isn't going to bend. This will withstand everything that you are building. This can handle it. And Peter says that the people, you and I, are like grass. Our beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The word of the Lord is the anvil. The word of the Lord will withstand anything that the world throws at us. Every cancellation of senior events, divorces, death, viruses, diagnoses, Relational struggles, financial struggles, employment struggles, loneliness struggles. This anvil, the word of the Lord, our living Christ can withstand everything. Praise the Lord for that. And there's a poet that once said this. 
Hammer away, ye hostile hands. Oh, your hammers break. God's anvil stands. In other words, hammer away, world. The church of Jesus Christ is going nowhere. The faith and the followers of Jesus Christ are going nowhere. It has withstood the test of time up until now, and it will withstand the test of time long after we are gone. And so our hope, our girding, our love cannot be shaken. It withstands the storms of life. Our faith is made stronger as a result of it. And this is not my wisdom. This is Peter's wisdom given uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit and out of the great mercy of God. And because of that, we respond in worship. Because of that, we respond in faithful, obedient walking with him. And when we struggle, and we will, we get up, we dust ourselves off, we look to the heavens of that which will withstand it all, and we keep moving. So do that this day. Do that this week. And may God walk with you each and every day. Let's pray together. So God, we love you. We are um, so grateful for your love. We are so grateful for the truths that are found in scriptures. We're so grateful that we are still the church. So grateful that you continue to provide for us as a church. For those who are struggling this morning, for those who are having a hard time, would you please be very near and dear to them? Your word says that you are close to the brokenhearted. And so for those who are brokenhearted this morning, for those who are struggling with physical pain, Molly, uh, the Lord loves you and he sits with you. He will heal you. For those who are alone, think of Polly and Judy. Uh, for those who are getting ready for life transitions, the Schultzes and the Kokenauers. God, would you please be with every person all around this world, really, that's tuning in and that are uh, a part of Christ-following churches. May we not slip back into old behaviors, but hold on to the anvil that is Christ. And we give you this morning, in Jesus' name, amen.